By any measure, the wool market has enjoyed a very strong run over the last 12 months with the benchmark Eastern market indicator up about 25% year on year. But in recent weeks, uncertainty has crept into the market and uncertainty has also enveloped all global markets. So today we examine in some detail both the short and the long-term drivers in the wool market. Hello and welcome to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Ella Edwards and in a few minutes we're going to head to the United States and hear firsthand how the current US-China trade war may affect the wool industry. Beforehand though, the immediate wool market has come off the boil in recent weeks and there's been a number of factors at play. So to talk us through them and perspective of maybe what's happening in the coming weeks and months, here is AWI's trade consultant, Scott Carmody. Hi Scott. Now, what's the feeling in the buying rooms at the moment? Um, surprisingly, it's um, it's not that bad. Um whilst no one wants to see markets you know fall 90 96 cents in a week um the feeling's not that bad everyone's sort of eyeing each other off they're they're looking to one another they everybody's looking to see you know is this the bottom is that the bottom um obviously there's buying opportunities at the moment for anyone that's prepared to take a punt but the prices are still you know historically you know hugely high so the willingness of an exporter to say, "Well, oh, I'm going to put in a couple of million bucks and take a, a few stocks on board," it's it's not quite there. You know, if we were a dollar or two lower, yes, I, I would categorically state that, yeah, there'd be some gambling going on. But um, gambling in the wool market at 18.50 or UMI is around that doesn't quite often happen. But as far as the feeling goes, yeah, it's 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 yeah, not what it's you know has been over the past six or seven years, but. Yeah, you know, it's not disaster by any means. I mean, the the wool growers are still getting good prices, and we're we're able to trade a fair bit of wool. Um, the last two weeks has almost been nothing, and that's why the markets reacted. Is if you can't trade it, you don't buy it. Therefore, you let the market adjust down to somewhere where the manufacturers are comfortable with buying, and then the local buyer here they can dip their hands in their pockets and start buying a bit too, and and that will build the confidence once those signals are portrayed back into the exporters' hands. So Scott, the current climate with drought across most of New South Wales into Queensland and the other states of Australia, is that playing a part in the price drop? The drought is playing havoc at the moment with um, manufacturers' expectations. Most of the supply you know, going into China is traditionally 19.5 and 21 micron average types and that, that's, that's known as our fine to medium merino and that's, that's the bread and butter for the Chinese domestic market. That's what they like to use. They're supplying their middle markets. Um, they do buy a, a, a lot of superfine production as well, so 18.5 and finer micron, but their key supply is based around that 9.5 and 21 micron. So what's happening in particularly New South Wales and parts of South Australia and parts of Victoria, uh, where the drought has been um, basically in effect for over a year now, and, and that forces the micron of the wool, the fibre diameter, down about a micron, micron and a half in a lot of instances. So we're now seeing, even though our supply this year is, is, is now looking like a 10 or 15% downfall, the supply of those finer microns, due to the drought fining up the wool clip, is actually increasing. So we're looking at figures of 
you know, 16 and a half mark on it, you know, 70 and 80 percent higher than it was last year, and 17 and a half mark on it, 20 percent higher. And you know, this this is playing havoc on what is normal expectations of our manufacturers, and they're just having to adjust at this time. So, what is actually happening, and, and what is a major driver of this market? Uh, the EMI, which is only an indicator of, of price, you know. Uh, everything's going back towards that nine and a half and twenty-one micron area, which is which is basically the um, commodity area of wool. So that's what we're seeing. It's seasonal based. It's uh, it's uh, causing a lot of wool uh, across Australia to be of the same micron, eight and a half and finer, and that's just putting a pinch level into the market that uh, probably was expected to a little degree, but not to the extent that we've seen. Okay, Scott, so how much of this price drop is due to retailers and brands pushing back on these higher prices? We're coming off you know, such sensationally high prices that um, the current uh, manufacturers, particularly out of China, they're taking 76% of our volume at the moment. So you know, that's, a, that's a high percentage in anyone's term. It's not, a, it's not a big worry to us, but they're trying now to pass these higher levels onto their customers and obviously there, there may be a little short-term price resistance at the level of consumer, but mainly at the manufacturing at the moment, because it is a bit of a slack time in the production cycle in China, as um, most of the garments that they make is you know, destined for the normal, uh, the normal northern hemisphere uh, there for winter season, and that's already you know, been stocked, if you like. They're, they're ready for sale up there, and uh, the season hasn't turned yet, and they're just waiting to see more sales flow off the shelves before they want to resupply their mills at the manufacturing stage. So that's why we're seeing this current downturn. You know, it is a big drop. Was this expected? Ninety-six cents is is a lot, but in percentage terms, that's around that five percent mark. So we have seen you know, several times, you know, in in the last even ten years, the the price fall and rise by such a percentage term. Um, but you know, in saying 96 cents, uh, we have seen higher. We have seen weeks where the market's gone up at dollar fifty and come down to dollar fifty, but that was far more significant back then because the price is coming off an indicator level of eleven or uh, ten or eleven dollars, not you know the eighteen or nineteen or twenty dollars that we've been you know experiencing over the past year. So it's probably more significant um, in the past than it is now. Um, the adjustment in the prices that we're seeing is just going to solidify wool as uh, into the future because we, we we haven't seen wool pass through at the you know the high of over 2100 where the indicator got to because wool being such a a, a long supply you know, most most of the wool by the time it's shorn to the time someone's wearing it is at least a three to four month turnaround so Traditionally, people have, the manufacturers have an average of three to four months in pricing as well. And seeing that the price went from 1800 to 2100 very quickly, um, it's more in, more you know common thought that the wool was sold at 1800 not sold at 2100 levels into the consumer. So they're, they're sort of looking to drag the, the market back to somewhere where they're comfortably able to supply retailers with the uh, woolen and you know, particularly merino items that they're after at the moment, which... You know, I must say, is, is still strongly in demand and strongly sought by the consumer. The level of inquiry that we're seeing from the consumer level and the garment manufacturer is still strong as what it has been. So the market will adjust to the price to match that demand. So that's why we're believing that this market will drive the price to the demand level. And the most substantial barometer that any product, you know, like, like wool, you know, demand is that key driver. Uh, supply issues, although... 
you know, it can be problematic at times if there's too much or too little of, 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 of supply at any one time during a pinch point of the year. Uh, supply becomes very much secondary as far as price determination is concerned. Um, somewhere out there, someone has to put their hand in their pocket and buy the woolen product at a price in order for our supply to be used. So it's the demand at the retail level that's going to determine the prices. And that what that's what, you know, the open cry auction system, that's what we're trying to find out at the moment is what price is the consumer and the manufacturer able to pay for the wool product to pass that uh, uh, product in, into the consumer's hands. So, Scott, are other wool markets being affected, for example, South Africa? Uh, yes, Ella, the South African market this week tracked almost identically to Australia and we have been doing so now for the past two or three years. Um, South Africa this week, for example, it dropped 5%. Our market dropped 4.8% in our local currency. So, yeah, all markets are affected. It's the price of wool that's trying to be determined now. And doesn't matter where the wool is coming from. If China's buying it, and they are predominantly the buyer of wool these days, um, they will eventually set the price. And when they decide that the price has been hit, there's no doubt we'll see a rebound off those levels because once everyone buys and sells, you know what happens, the, the price will inevitably go up. And so, you know, China, as you said, is so important. Is the tit-for-tat that's going on with the US and China at the moment over tariffs, is that causing any concern? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's obviously a big concern, um, particularly with the flow of all the, the states probably takes only around 14%, 15%, somewhere around that of, of wool out of um, China as a textile. And most of that is in technical fabrics and carpets rather than what we're producing as apparel wool. So it's not going to influence it that much. It's the overarching you know, damage that's being caused by you know, China not wanting to pay too much for their raw materials in case you know, it has to go to the States or has to be dumped into, China, into the States out of China. Um, the more concerning is is the the, the uh, cotton uh, effect. Um, whilst there's been a huge tariff imposed by China on cotton imports, they've shown now that they can't afford not to buy the U.S. cotton. So <laughs> it's a bit of a you mightn't say uh, tit for tat, uh, but it does affect textiles in in a much larger concern as you know cotton's a larger industry than wool. And where that lands, that's going to be a determination for for wool and the effect that it has on our you know, raw uh, supply to China. Thanks so much for speaking with me, Scott. Thanks, Ella. So you've probably heard about the ongoing trade dispute between the US and China, and the wool market is not immune from this. So to give perspective of what it could mean, AWI's Peter Slacksmith recently caught up with Steve Lamar from the American Apparel and Footwear Association, who explained what the trade war was in reality. So China and the U.S. are, are locked in a, I think the best thing I would describe it as a tit-for-tat trade war. Um, and, and sometimes people don't like to use the word trade war, but you know, each side is taking turns lobbying, lobbying tariffs at the other side. So it sure looks like a trade war to us. Um, in effect, what's, what's occurring is the um, Trump administration is trying to address underlying um, concerns about technology transfer, intellectual property theft. I think real legitimate concerns that have been documented by many countries, I'm sure Australia as well, um, by the U.S., the European Union, um, Canada, Japan for, for years, even, even in some cases for decades, um, and things that really need to be addressed that have not been um, 
systematically um, approached, addressed, fixed, resolved um, for a while. And I think that, that that's, that's led, led to a buildup of frustrating um, uh, frustrations in, in that our American political system is certainly feeling, and I think others do as well. So the Trump administration, um, rather than continuing this dialogue, which had been been sort of the predominant way of resolving these things, has decided that they were going to get the Chinese um, government's attention by imposing tariffs on imports um, that the U.S. imports from China. Um, they've been doing this in successive waves, um, where they first proposed a tranche of $50 billion worth of goods that would see a 25% tariff. That was then broken up into a $34 billion tranche and a $16 billion tranche. Both of those have been assessed tariffs. Neither of those will really address um, the, the main things in our industry. But what they've done is they've given the Chinese the ability to retaliate with their own tranches of tariffs of $34 billion and then $16 billion worth of goods that also get a 25% tariff. The Chinese have been very clear is that they're going to reciprocate on these tariffs kind of measure for measure. Um, so where we are right now is the U.S. has imposed 25% tariffs on $50 billion worth of imports the Chinese have proposed, have, not proposed, have instituted. The Chinese have instituted 25% tariffs on $50 billion worth of imports from the United States. And in some cases, that includes um, textile inputs. Um, for example, there's a lot of cotton that we ship from the U.S. to China that's been included in one of the Chinese retaliation lists. Trump Can I just stop you there for a moment, just to sort of, I suppose, to put this into context. So when we're talking about tariffs, because we hear a lot about tariffs, basically this imposition of a 25% tariff here in the US for in Chinese imports into the US and then again American imports into China, that's essentially increasing the price or it's a 25% tax on those goods, isn't it? Which I guess that gets passed down to the consumer with increased prices. Is that how it works? Yeah, correct. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ineffective border tax that operates the same way as any other tariff would. And, and it's, an extra, it's an extra cost that is applied to the supply chain. And so different companies are going to treat that differently. In some cases, they might be able to absorb part or all of it. Obviously, 25% becomes very difficult to absorb. Um, some cases, they might be able to spread it through their supply chain partners. Um, and in some cases, they're going to pass all or most of it on to the consumer. Um, somebody's going to pay for it. And usually, it's not the government that's paying for it. That's the important part to remember. It's a business or a consumer. And Steve, can I just can you just clarify? So that's a additional 25% tariff that might be um, imposed on apparel, maybe cotton goods coming in from China into the US. That's in addition to the existing tariff, I think of about 17, 17.5% tariff from memory on some cotton goods, apparel goods coming in. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So if, if the tariff that a product is facing is 17%, this 25% additional tariff means the new tariff would be 42%. But the, the one thing just to, to kind of make sure you're aware is that um, there have not yet been proposed tariffs on apparel and footwear, um, back, uh, apparel and footwear, I'll say, um, coming from China to the United States. Um, the U.S. has now proposed a, we call it the third tranche, a $200 billion list of products, again, 25% tariff for textiles, um, travel goods, uh, bags, accessories, things like that, but have not yet proposed tariffs on apparel, footwear, or home textiles, things like blankets and sheets and so forth. So a lot of the... So lot touch, good, touch wood, that's great for 
great well, for your businesses. Yes, except they they have proposed tariffs on wool coming from China to the United States. So wool, not wool apparel, but wool fabric. So if someone were to um, import wool fabric from China made with Australian wool into the United States, that would face a 25% tariff if this proposal takes effect. And again, somebody might be importing that because they're making something in the United States out of out of Chinese wool. Um, Australian wool processed in China, probably. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, Chinese Chinese wool fabric using using Australian uh, wool fibers. So, so where does this take us now? Um, as I mentioned before, we currently have this proposed twenty five percent tariff on two hundred billion dollars worth of U.S. imports. Again, including textiles and travel goods and, and related products like that. Um, the president, President Trump, has proposed to. Um, that he will retaliate if the Chinese continue to retaliate. He made those statements about two weeks, three weeks ago, and since then the Chinese have now retaliated twice. Um, first, a um, uh, last week they proposed um, different rates of tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. imports um, into China, um, and that includes a lot of um, textile and apparel and footwear items. Again, that's from the U.S. to China. And then... Um, the Chinese proposed their their second tranche, their $16 billion, um, two days ago. And so we would expect the president, again, if passed his prologue, to then ratchet up and do another set of, of tariffs, maybe another $200 billion list, and that one might include apparel and footwear. Um, we, we don't have a lot left that they can go after at this point. Steve, you, you mentioned before... Um that uh, in the tranches that or the tariffs that have been applied so far, one of one of the as I suppose specifically for the wool industry, one of those tariffs was opposed on fabric, probably Australian wool um, being processed in China coming into America as wool fabric. Just to sort of um, I suppose not to concern Australian wool growers, but there's probably very little of that actually happening, isn't there? So most of the the wool coming into America would be coming in as garments. Is that correct from your members? Can you give a little bit of detail about that? Yeah, I would expect that that's that that's the case, and and you know the, um, the there is there are proposals by the U.S. textile industry, for example, to expand the current list of products to starting to include garments as well. So even though the list right now is only textiles and and the wool that would be covered in that now is wool in the textile form, um, the the textile industry, the U.S. textile industry, has proposed um, to have um, finished articles, so finished home textiles and garments, to be included as well in these, in, in either the current or in future lists. Steve, given the um, the tit for tat that we've sort of talked about here between um, America and China in terms of trade wars um, that's going on, and you've given a great explanation of, of that to Australian wool growers, so thank you very much. What can we do as an Australian industry or Australian wool innovation or the Walmart company? What can we do? I think I think what you want to do is just continue to assure your American consumers and customers that you're going to be steadfast partners of the you know, the U.S. retail industry. You make a quality fiber and um, that goes into a quality product. And I think there's no reason for people to expect that to change. And I think you just stay there as a partner. And I think make sure that you're not one of the things that people find as a question. So yeah. going forward. Fantastic. And Steve, we've been here this week um, at the AAFA conference, which has been focused on traceability and CSR sort of issues. Can you sort of give a bit of an overview in terms of what those key issues are that are taking up um, concern of some companies? Yeah, so the, the, the broad concept of traceability is that um, our members um, 
again, the sort of the brands, the retailers, the importers are having to push further and further back through their supply chain to understand, you know, who are their tier one suppliers, tier two, tier three, tier four, um, so they can make sure that they're, you know, producing the right product, that there's no surprises, that they are able to follow the requirements that they need so they can um, be able to adequately communicate to their consumers what their products um, have, what they contain, what they don't contain, how they were produced, and, and, and under what conditions and so forth. Um, one of the things that I think is, is so terrific about um, what you guys present and, and Peter, your, your presentation specifically, is that when we are um, generally approaching our suppliers past the tier two, tier three stage, it's, it's a little bit like trying to find a lost tribe. I mean, it's like we can, we're looking for someone, they, they don't know who we are, they don't realize that they have that connection with us. And, and with you guys, it's terrific because you've actually done all that work for us. So we get down to the tier two, tier three, and then there's this beautifully well-developed um, um, supply chain that's fully mapped out. So we just have to basically plug our our um, traceability um, uh, protocols into what you've already done and we're done. We can then move on and deal with the other problems. You guys aren't a problem, you're a solution and, and that's really good. Steve Lamar is from the American Apparel and Footwear Association and he was speaking there with General Manager Corporate Affairs and Market Access, Peter Slack-Smith. So a lot of economic and market forces at play in the wool industry in this edition of The Yarn. If you do enjoy the podcast, please review us on iTunes to help other wool growers find the podcast. So thanks for your company. I'm Ella Edwards. You've been listening to The Yarn. Remember to subscribe through your podcast app to keep up to date with our weekly episodes and of course you can follow us on Twitter at Wool Innovation and on Instagram at Beyond the Bale.